um, we're going to, as, as Dr. Ryman mentioned, we're going to have a meal, and I was clearly told at the end of our sermon, um, I'm supposed to pray over the meal, and then the, uh, the most difficult thing I'm going to do today is that, Joni, we are supposed to be the first in line. And I know that, you know, it's difficult for me, but getting her out of here um, is, is like, um, as I've said before, it's, it's like dragging a grappling grappling hook through a room full of Christmas trees. It's very, very difficult to get her out of a crowd of people, but we're supposed to be first in line, so you have to do it. All right, then we're going to do that. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to, I'd like my 1,372nd message here at uh, Aberdeen First Assembly. I don't know how many total, but this is 1,372. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, 2 Timothy is a letter of godly instruction given by an older man named Paul to a young minister named Timothy. Their relationship was, uh, from what we can uh, read from not only the record, but also his letters, there's a great and deep relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy, I think we could safely describe him as a as a spiritual son to this man named Paul. And Paul is writing this, this young man, this young minister named Timothy. And also of note, 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy, or the book of 2 Timothy, is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death. In fact, later on in this letter, he refers to his, his, his coming death, that, that it is imminent, that it is about to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, Paul wrote this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In the first line there, Paul says that this is going to be, these are going to be terrible times in the last days. I don't know if the days that he's referring to, the last days, is our day, I don't know if we are living in the last days. I think we very well may be that Jesus' return is just around the corner. And if it is, glory to God, Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly. We need to be ready for that. I don't know if we're living in the last days, but as you look through that list that is before you, it sure seems a lot like our days, doesn't it? It sure seems a lot like our times. I mean, there's some tough things there. People, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, <coughs> boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. I mean, this is like a rogues gallery. He's talking about some of the terrible things and responses and behaviors of people in the last days. And then in verse 5, Paul went on to describe that time as having a form of godliness but denying its power. To me, that's one of the most interesting parts of the text. 
He's talking about the last times or the last days, but he's also talking about his time to some degree. But he's also saying that of that time, there will be a form of godliness or the appearance of godliness or the outward exterior of godliness, but they will deny its power. That the the appearance of God will be on, but not the presence and the power of God. He speaks of this time, and it's, it's an indicting statement. And then Paul wrote this, at the end of very, very end of verse 5, he said, have nothing to do with them. It's a strong statement. And sometimes we think that that uh, any time in Scripture that, that, that there's a, an inclusiveness, that, there is a, that there's a welcoming, and, and, and yet Paul here is very clear, and he said, of that time, whenever it might be, he said, there, those who have this appearance of outward exterior of godliness, but who have rejected the power of God, he's very clear, he says, of those persons have nothing to do with them. Those who who have the outward appearance of godliness, but who have rejected its power. It's a strong statement. And then in verses 6 through 9, Paul then identifies or he calls out those persons who claim Christ, but who in fact lead people astray. And these are some strong statements as well. He calls out, he identifies, he turns the light on people who claim faith in Christ, but actually are subversive. They're leading people away from Jesus Christ. And he describes them as controlling of weak-willed people, opposed to truth, depraved in their minds, is the words that are used here, which means morally corrupt. He says there, there's going to be people, there's going to be people who will who will do everything they can to, within their control, to lead aside people who are unaware, who are weak-willed. They're going to be opposed to truth, and they're going to be morally corrupt or depraved in their minds. So the Holy Spirit here, who is really the author of 2 Timothy, the Holy Spirit, through this Apostle Paul, written to this younger man, is warning not only Timothy, but he's also warning us Beware of people who seek control over weak-willed people. Watch out for those who oppose truth and be on guard against those who are morally corrupt. Paul here is saying, he's, he's being directed by the Holy Spirit to write this because it was a problem then, it was going to be a problem in their future, and it's a problem now. And he said, watch out for these things, be warned of these things. Some of you have been reading through the Bible in recent weeks and in recent months, and you've come to some of those what we call epistles. They were originally letters, now they're books of the Bible, but they were written to individuals or to churches, and again and again in those epistles, in those letters, you see the Holy Spirit through some person warning people about the things that they're going to encounter and the people that they're going to encounter, strong statements strong statements. It's true then, it's true now. And then in verses 10 and 11, there's a lot of scripture here this morning. In verses 10 and 11, Paul pointed out his good example. Now, for just a moment here, he, he, has, he has pointed to future times, 
the last days, he's pointed out some people who are doing it wrong, and now he points to himself. He says, you, however, know about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. He says, what kinds of things happened to me (coughs) at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and the persecutions that I endured. If, If you're counting there, there are four times that he refers to himself. Four times. (coughs) <coughs> and you look at that, and, and as you're working your way through this text, you're, you look at this and you go, that, that appears rather self-serving. I mean, here he's pointing to a future time. He's pointing out the people who are doing it wrong, the people have, who have impure motives, and then he points to himself. You know, and I look at this, and I, I was kind of pondering this this last week, last couple of weeks actually, and and, and, and looking at this, and, and you go, wow, it just seems so self-serving that he would point to himself as an example. But, but again, here's Paul. He has limited time. His days are running out. He doesn't know if he'll ever be able to write another letter. This is his last correspondence to a spiritual son. And what is this spiritual father, this man of God, who's been serving Jesus now for decades? For a moment, he points to himself and he says, Look at the way that I have lived. Look at the way that I have suffered. He says, you're going to see them, those people. You're going to see people with impure motives. But he said, look at my life. And I, and I, I got thinking, you know, I, I think it's all right if at the end of your life and you see the end coming quickly, it's all right if you point to your own life. <clears throat> if you've honored God and said, listen, I have, I have found that honoring God is the best way to live, and so do what I do. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what Paul's doing. His time is running out, but there's this urgency. There's this passion. There's this feeling of, I, I need to get this message out in the time that I have. And then Paul pointed to Jesus. He said this, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So again, he points to this future time. He points to these other people. He points to himself. And then he points to Jesus. And he says, yes, but, but I want you to understand that Jesus, the Lord, has rescued me from all of them. I like that. I like that line. The Lord has rescued me from all of them. He said, I've gone through all of these. I've gone through these persecutions. I've gone through these trials. I've been kicked out of communities. I've been, and we know the record. He's been, he's been stoned. He's had people throw stones at him. He's, had, he's been beaten by sticks. He's been beaten by whips. He's been imprisoned. But he looks and he says, the, the Lord has rescued me from all of them. He could look back on his life. Again, decades of following Jesus. This is not a guy who's just given his heart to Christ and he's, and he's not sure exactly how it's all going to work out. This is a person who gave his life to Christ many years before, and he's seen the faithfulness of God. He says, the Lord has rescued me from all of them. Listen, listen, if you are doing God's work, if you are doing what God called you to do, if you are in his will, and then there is opposition, there is opposition to a God-given task, I want you to understand it's good sometimes to look back and remember the times that Jesus rescued you. It's really good to look back at times and say, Lord, I don't know what you are going to do, 
but I saw that you were faithful and that you rescued me. Think of the many times, for just a moment, look back in your own life. It's easy for me to do. I don't want to talk about my example. Look back in your own life. Look back at the times where you were so close to giving up. And the Holy Spirit, maybe through another person or through a word from the Word of God, how he encouraged you. How many of you can look, don't raise your hands, but how many of you can look back at a time when you were close to giving in to that temptation? It was so strong, you could almost feel it and see it. It was so powerful. But the power of God, you, you surrendered yourself to the power of God, and the power of God came in and you were rescued, and you didn't give in to that. Now, there may be times when you did give into it, but you saw how God delivered you from that and how he set you free and how, and how that built your faith. Think back in your own life the number of times that Jesus has rescued you. And I'll tell you, when you're in the battle, it's really healthy sometimes to look back and say, God, there's another battle ahead, but just as you're you help me in those other battles, you're going to help me here. That's what Paul is doing. That's what Paul's writing to Timothy. Then in verse 12, Paul wrote this. In fact, everyone, that includes us, that word includes us. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I, I, don't, know if you, uh, I don't know if you underline in your Bible, and it's all right if you do that, but that's a good one to underline. Again, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's not painting a very good picture here, but he's just being very real. He said to Timothy and to us, he said, everyone who desires to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus, will face persecution. You know, it's easy for me to say that <coughs> or easier, I should say, for us to say that here. But there are parts in our world, there are places in our world where persecution is not something that is just covert, it is overt, that it is very pronounced, that it is very obvious. And to live for Jesus Christ, wherever we might be, to live for Jesus Christ suddenly becomes life-threatening or freedom-threatening. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. So Paul told them. So here's Paul writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, anticipate those times. Guard against those kinds of people. Remember what Jesus has done and prepare for persecution. Now I imagine, you know, I imagine Timothy, as he gets this letter, and he's, he's reading this letter, scroll, some kind of papyrus, I'm not really sure. <coughs> but he's reading this letter, and I'm thinking as he gets to this point, I would love to see the expression on his face or what was going through his mind as he's reading this letter. These, these are the times that I have ahead. These are the people that I need to guard against. I need to remember that Jesus helped me, but there's persecution ahead. And I, I imagine Timothy as he's writing this, but then look at verse 14. He said, but as for you, now Paul is speaking and he's directing it right to Timothy now. 
He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul essentially said this, continue to study God's Word. He said, continue to study the Scriptures. Paul knew about his spiritual heritage. He knew about the Timothy's mother and grandmother and, and how they had served Christ before him. And, and, and he, knew this, he knew this young man and he knew the depth of his faith, but he told him, he challenged him. In this last letter that he wrote, he said, stay in God's word. Continue to study God's word. Continue to trust God through his word. He says, because there's, going to, there's wisdom there to find salvation. This guy's a minister of the gospel, and he's, and he's telling people, and, and he's, he's, Paul is, is telling Timothy, stay in God's word, because that's where people are going to learn about Jesus Christ. You see, reading the Bible doesn't save us, but reading the Bible tells us about the message of salvation through Jesus Christ again and again and again. And then in verse 16, again, a lot of scripture here this morning, but in verse 16, Paul writes this, all scripture, may be familiar to you, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's brief. Let me read it again. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says it's God-breathed. This is unlike any other book. This is a God-breathed book. This is a living book because God breathed it, because God spoke it, because God moved on people's hearts to write it. This is a book unlike any other book. <coughs> Think of all the books that have been written, millions and millions of books. Very few of them will ever be read beyond the century in, the, in which they're written. Very few books, even 50 years ago that were written, are still in print today. And yet the Word of God, the Bible, has been around for 2,000 years, portions of it for many thousands of years, and it's still as alive today as the day that it was written. Because it's the Word of God, because it's God-breathed. Paul here writes to Timothy, he said, stay in the word of God. It's going to be the wisdom that's going to lead you to salvation through Jesus Christ. He's so strong on this, and he says how valuable and how profitable and useful it is. I want you to look at the word teaching. Look at that word teaching. It says it is useful for teaching. Some translations, in fact, some of those, you, are, you have the Bible in front of you, and, and it uses not the word teaching, but it uses perhaps the word Doctrine. Doctrine. Now think about that word doctrine. Don't respond out, outwardly, but what does that word do for you? The word doctrine. When somebody says, let me talk to you about doctrine. See, there's a lot of people that have an aversion to that word. That that word is a, is a, 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 a bit of a, a downer to them. In fact, some Christians think that the word doctrine is a bad word. I've heard people say, I don't care about doctrines. Doctrines are not that important. I've heard people tell me doctrines don't matter as long 
<coughs> as you love Jesus. But the word doctrine simply means to instruct people in God's truth, to instruct people in the principles of God's word. That is doctrine. And that's very important. To be instructed in God's truth is important because some people, and you perhaps have seen this, some people treat biblical truths like like pieces of classroom clay that they can reform and reshape and manipulate to suit them. There are people in our world who will take portions of the Bible and turn it into some kind of an ecclesiastical play-doh, and, and they'll say, well, this is what it means to me. Let me just be very clear on something. We need to be very careful that not just what it means to me, what does it mean? What does it mean? You see, it's not just, oh, this is what it means to me. I can reshape it and I go, this is what it means to me. No, what does the Bible mean? What does it say? What is its truth here? There are essential Bible doctrines. There are essential Bible doctrines and teachings that are foundational to our faith. Let me give you just a couple of them. Like this one, the Bible is God's word It has authority and it is without error. Do you know that that's one of the most important doctrines in the Bible? That's a truth that you will not find in just one place, but many places throughout the Word of God. This book has authority. It is God-breathed and it has no error. Some people, there are some places, some places even with crosses on the wall that will question whether this is a book that is even written by God. It's a doctrine. It's an important one, and yet some today question it. Or how about this one? Jesus Christ was and is more than a man. He is God. There are places in our world today, places even in our community, who have a cross on a wall, but they question the divinity of Jesus Christ. They say he was a good man. He lived a long time ago. He did a lot of good things and said a lot of smart things. We're not really sure if he's God. No, that is a doctrine that is essential to our faith, or that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by our own efforts. That if we could earn our salvation, then what Jesus did was without merit, was without purpose. But we are saved through Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Or that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, and he physically rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Here's an important Bible doctrine that some will disregard. Sin is spiritually lethal, and it is to be repented of and renounced, not reinterpreted or embraced or celebrated. You see, sin is a spiritually lethal thing. It's not just like something I dislike or something that is distasteful, but rather it is something that is spiritually lethal. Or how about this doctrine? A doctrine, a teaching of the word, not just in one place, but throughout. There is life after death. That when these bodies give out, when our bodies shut down, there is life. There is a part of me that is going to live forever, eternally with Christ in heaven or eternally separated from Christ in hell. These are just some, just some of of, of the biblical truths, doctrines 
which must not be resigned, Bible doctrines which must not be resigned or revoked or reinterpreted. Doctrines are important. And Paul writes here, he said, he said, this is useful for teaching. It's useful for doctrine. And yet there are people. There are people today who choose a church without considering that church's commitment to biblical authority. You ask some people to explain what their church professes or believes, and they cannot do so. There are persons you know, there are persons you know who identify with a church simply because generations before them identified with that church. They don't know why they're a part of that church or why when they go, if they go, that they go to that church. They just know that that's where all the generations before them have gone. But they don't know what the church says, what it believes, what it professes, what it perhaps has rejected. There are persons you know who attend a church simply because their friends attend that church, never asking what it believes or practices. Some people even choose a church because things that God's word condemns are no longer condemned in that church. Sadly, there are today, these are some strong statements, but I must say them. I must say them because while Paul warned, so must we warn people today. There are denominations and there are congregations that were birthed in true revival, that were birthed in true revival where people repented of their sins and they came to faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus transformed them. Denominations and congregations birthed in true revival, but they've lost their way because they've disregarded or misused God's word. They hold to a form of godliness, but they have rejected his power. Sadly, these things still happen today. I'd love to tell you this morning that, that, that any place that calls themselves a church, any place that puts a cross on the wall can be trusted, but some simply cannot. Paul makes this strong statement. He said, have nothing to do with them. I need to tell you up front, I'm not going to list any there, there, are, there, are, there are fellowships that we, we connect with here in this community and around the world. There are churches and denominations that are not a part of our own. I'll tell you what, I have precious fellowship with them. I'm so grateful that we have a connection. I'm so grateful that we have fellowship. But I'm going to be very straight with you. There are some churches that I have nothing to do with because they've walked away from Jesus Christ. I hate to say it. But they have. They've rejected these fundamental truths of Scripture. Bible teaching, doctrine is important. Bringing these truths is important. Lifting up these principles that run throughout the Word of God is essential to who we are. Paul went on to write, he said all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking. That's a strong word. That's not a word that you hear very often, but it's in the word. It's right there before you. He said it's useful for rebuking. Rebuking means to identify sin. 
Rebuking means to expose, to call out those who are in sin. Rebuking means that there it is. It's wrong. And it cannot be comforted. And it cannot be, it cannot be uh, 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 guarded. And it cannot be defended. It must be repented of. Rebuking means to identify. The Bible comforts us. And, and it instructs us. But God's word also identifies and exposes sin. Some of you... Some of you here in this room are either have or you've had a family member who has gone through some kind of cancer or some kind of deep body infection. And while I'm no surgeon, and some of you who know me, I could never even witness something like this, but it makes me a little woozy thinking about it, but, but they'll take that scalpel and they'll They'll open that body and they'll open up flesh and it's painful and it's scarring. <coughs> but they have to get down to where that cancer is, to where that infection is, to where that, that problem is so that they can expose it, deal with it. They don't do it because they want to scar bodies, because they want to hurt the patient. They want to save the patient. The Bible, the Word of God, this, this double-edged sword, if you will, has a way of of, of exposing our sin and saying that's wrong. As we read through the Word of God, something's not right in our life, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will take what's written, what He wrote years ago, and it's alive, and it speaks to us, and He says that should not be in your life, and it exposes us. And it's painful, but it's redemptive. God does not rebuke us to humiliate us. God does not expose us in a punitive way, but in a redemptive way. He does it because he wants us to be healthy and whole and with him. God's word rebukes us. <clears throat> it often hurts, but it's redemptive. All scripture, it says, is God breathed. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. Hang on with this one. These are some strong statements. Some of the things we have learned are wrong. Some of the things that we learn are just flat out wrong. Some of the ideas we have because of misinformation or because of bad information or because of lies, some of the things that we have picked up and learned along the way are wrong. They are not in line with God's Word, and God's Word has a way of bringing us into line. It corrects us. Some here this morning... No, in fact, all of us here this morning have in some ways, great or small, listened at times to the lies and the misinformation that is in our world. I was talking with a guy just a few weeks ago. God put me into his life. I wrote his name down and it's in my wallet and I'm praying for him almost every other day. I'm praying for this man, but he's telling me lies. He's telling me misinformation. It's wrongheadedness. It's wrong. But the Bible gives good information. That man's going to come to Jesus. But he's been misinformed. God's word brings us truth. It is the living, it is the living word and it is truth and it corrects us. Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means that it guides us in God's ways. It shows us the way that it, to go. It, it leads us into the right direction. It trains us in the way that he would have us go. You know, I've found this out, and some of you have as well. Any kind of training, <coughs> mental, physical, or spiritual, training is hard. It takes time. 
and it takes effort. We call this discipleship. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't just say, you know, wave his hand over them, and he had the power and the authority to do so, but he didn't just wave his hand over them and say, all right, there you are, you're complete. No, for three years he led them and he trained them and he showed them and he demonstrated to them, person to person, the power of God. They became disciples. Some of you here this morning gave your hearts to Jesus years ago and you thought that that was good enough and I'm telling you it isn't. Now it's good enough to get you to heaven. You can't earn your salvation, but I'll tell you what, you got to work on the discipleship part. That takes time and that takes effort. I think too many times people have just said, I've given my heart to Jesus, it's good enough, I remember the date, I remember the occasion, but I'm not going to grow in the Lord. The Bible says it trains us in righteousness, it shows us how to live. Training is never easy, it's never short. In recent weeks, now this is the fourth week, in recent weeks I have encouraged people to read God's Word, to simply read God's Word, that if you have, continue, if you have not, begin, but to read God's Word. In recent weeks, I have encouraged people to read God's Word, to get a Bible, to get a Bible. That's number one, just get a Bible. We've given out so many Bibles in recent weeks in about three or four different languages. We've given out so many. I gave some more last week. It's wonderful. It doesn't do any good on our shelf, but it may really be really good in your hands. And so if you don't have a Bible, you see me afterwards, we'll get you a Bible. Get a Bible. Number two, get alone with God's Word. Get alone with God. Some of you have heard this now for, this is the fourth time, but I'm going to say it again, even to the point of annoying you, because I want you to hear this. Get alone with God's Word. Turn off the phone. Turn off the device. Turn off the media. Turn off, get away from people and and spend some time just alone with God's word and allowing him undistracted to carve out some time. Number three, if you're just starting or if you've started, then start in Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament and, and work your way through it. When you get done with the New Testament, then go back and begin reading the Old Testament. It's powerful stuff. But I want you to hear the the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus begins in Matthew and goes into Mark and then Luke and then John and then you have the history book. We call it the Acts of the Apostles or the Book of Acts. It's the history book of those first believers and how they lived out their relationship with Jesus Christ. Start reading in Matthew. Number four, read it at least four times each week. You're gonna see some differences in your life. If you spend time in God's word, if you engage God in his word, it's gonna change your life. It's going to be measurable. You're going to start seeing that there is power. It's not just another book. It's not just information. It's transformation. And he will begin to transform not only the way that you think, but the way that you live, the things that you do. There are going to be things that you used to do that you no longer want to do because of the power of God's word. At least four times. Oh, and you can do more. You can do five, six. You can do seven times a week. You can do more than that but at least four times a week, engage God in his word. And each time, the last thing, each time, read at least, at least one chapter each time. At least one chapter each time. Go deep. You don't have to go broad, just go deep. 
I shared with someone last night, we were talking, and I, I said, you know, I very seldom read more than two or three chapters, often just right around two. And sometimes, I, in my own devotions this last week, for example, I, I went through, in the early part of the week, the book of Philippians. I'm reading through, and, and I got to Philippians chapter four. There's only four chapters. It's a little book. Um, and, 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 and I enjoyed it so much, I just started over in chapter one. And I just started reading it again because it's so good. That's all right if you do that, but engage. He'll speak to you in his word. But beyond reading that, be a student of God's word. Become a student. It will teach you. It will sometimes rebuke you. It will correct you. It will train you in righteousness so that you will be, it says, so that you will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Many of you are involved in agribusiness, and for many months you've been getting different pieces of machinery. In the months leading up to planting, you're getting that machine ready. You're making sure everything is go because you don't want to break down halfway through planting. And then particularly in the harvest, some of you have been making sure everything is ready to go so that as soon as the harvest begins, after it dries out, as soon as the harvest begins, everything is ready to go so that it is fully equipped. There's some challenges ahead of you. There's some trials ahead of you. There's some things right now that you're going through. And God wants to thoroughly equip you for whatever comes your way. He wants to equip you for every good work. Not just for every danger or every contingency, but for every good work. You see, reading God's Word, studying God's Word, becoming immersed in God's Word, it's never been just about you. It's to equip you so that you can share God's Word with other people. So that you will not only be the recipient of God's transforming power, but you will be the carrier of God's transforming power to the world around you. See, that's how this world's going to get one. It's not going to happen through one person preaching to a lot of people. It's going to happen by people who have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, who have given themselves to this book, who then take the transforming message of Jesus Christ to the world around them and communicate God's timeless doctrines, truths to the people around them. I want you to be a man or a woman of God's word. That's my prayer. Some months ago, I knew that I was going to be preaching these four weeks on this, and, 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 and that was, has been my goal all along, that we will be people, that the people who call AFA their church will be people of God's Word. I want you to stand with me now and take your Bibles. Take them in your hands. Don't put them down. Keep them in your hands. It may be electronic. It may be paper. It may be a leather cover, a paper cover, or no cover. <laughs> but take it in your hands. Again, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'll get you one. Would you hold it in your hands like this? Just hold it like this. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray this. Before I pray, let me tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you will be a man or a woman of God's Word. It will become very real to you. It will become very precious to you, not just as a holy book that you, that you revere and, and put in a very special place and don't park your coffee on it or something like that. But, but, but that, that it, will, it will be something that is indispensable to your life. And then I'm, we're going to pray over, over the meal and, and we're going to make our way into fellowship. 
But what's about to happen is more important than anything that will happen in the next, in the next hour. So would you take that and bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and how many, many years ago <coughs> your Holy Spirit moved upon a man named Paul to write to a man named Timothy. And we have that so that we can look at that portion and understand that it wasn't just for a Timothy in a long ago, faraway place, but it's for us. And it is my prayer, Lord, that we would understand that your word is holy. It's inspired. It teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. I pray, Jesus, that every person here would be a man of the word or a woman of the word. That the Bible would be one of the most precious things to us. That, that, that if, we, if we leave for three days, the first thing we grab is, is, our, is our, our Bible and our toothbrush. That if we go someplace that, that we don't go without your word, that it becomes so precious to us that if, if, we, if we miss engaging with you in your word, we feel like we've missed something. That there's a spiritual hunger. Lord, I thank you for speaking to us this day. And I ask your blessing and your favor. I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would leave this place knowing that we've met with God and that we've experienced your presence and that we've experienced your power. I pray, Lord, that every person here would know you and serve you as Savior and Lord. That even in these final moments, all they need to do, if they've never met you, if they've never begun to serve you, is to simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I can't fix me, but you can. You alone can forgive me and I surrender my life to you. Lord, if we pray that prayer, if we stand upon the power of your word, we will win. Lord, I don't know if we're in the last days, but I know this, that we will not succumb to these times, that we will not succumb to the world around us, but because of the power of your word, we will prevail. We thank you, Lord, for your presence within us. Now, Lord, I ask that you will bless our fellowship and our food. Lord, may there be connections made today that were not made before. We'll meet somebody, Lord, who will become very important to us in our, in our walk with you. I thank you, Lord, your blessing upon us as we make our way out of this place into fellowship. But Lord, when we leave this place in your power and in your anointing, in Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.